Lord, we ask you to bless this evening and as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we examine it and see your care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jeremiah 28. Uh, in Jeremiah 27, Jeremiah was told by God to fashion a yoke and he put it on himself and he told everybody, you know, he went around telling people that this yoke represents your, your bondage to Nebuchadnezzar. Those who voluntarily fall under it will be blessed. <laughs> Those who reject it will be uh, persecuted for all practical purposes. And, and, the, and, all, and then all the priest and the prophets that were not of God started saying, oh, you know, you're a liar. Nothing's going to happen to us. And he's in the going, all of our stuff's going to come back from Babylon. And he goes, if it does, then, you know, good. But God said this. So this is the next statement is a response from, from to Jeremiah's prophecy. Uh, verse one. And it came to pass the same year at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year of the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet, which was of Gibeon, spoken to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priest and all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have, a bur I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. And I will bring again to this place Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah that went into Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. All right, so here is a very, this is totally contradictory to what Jeremiah prophesied. All right, and Jeremiah has even told them that they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. All right, so this one is very contradictory to that message and it happens that satan will bring false messages in to try to break down god's message and this is one they want to hear so it says in that same year the the year that zedekiah king of Ju judah in the fourth year of the fifth month that hananiah the prophet which was of gibeon now gibeon is a levitical city Remember when they, when they came into the promised land, the Levites were not given a territory. They were given cities scattered all around the nation so that they would be basically forced to be the ministers wherever they were at. So they were given cities. And, and this particular city is approximately five miles from Jerusalem. So he's from that area. All right. And so he's, he's a of a prophet, but he lives in a Levitical city, one of the cities given to the Levites. And the, what happened in those cities, the Levites were given a city, and I think it was five miles around the city that they could use for farming and, and herds uh, for themselves because they were given no land, all right, uh, other than those cities. And it says, that he spoke in the house of the Lord or the temple in the presence of the priest and to all the people saying, all right, so he's talking to Jeremiah and all the people, Jeremiah had given this prophecy that, that everybody was going to be put under bondage of Nebuchadnezzar. And his statement in verse two says, thus speaks the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. All right, so who's he saying he's speaking for? I am speaking for God. Pretty much the same words that Jeremiah had said. I'm speaking for the 
for the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. All right. So this is a pretty bold statement. If you're going to say you're speaking for God, you better be speaking for God. All right. And I've seen this happen in certain churches where people will say, thus saith the Lord. And it's like, you know, and then they'll say something really stupid and you're not supposed to argue with them because they said, thus saith the Lord. You know, they're speaking for God. Even though what they said is contrary to what the Bible says or something, all they have to do is say, thus saith the Lord, and everybody just stops arguing with them, except for me. <laughs> I got myself in trouble in those churches way too easy because uh, I didn't believe that they were thus saith the Lord when they disobeyed with what God said. And so it says, thus saith the Lord, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. All right, so Nebuchadnezzar's yoke is broken. Don't worry about it. I took that yoke that, that, that uh, Jeremiah was talking about and, and the power that you were seeing from Nebuchadnezzar and I have broken it. He is not going to have rule over all of you. And this is going to be a problem because now he is saying something totally different than the prophet of God spoke. And he says, and we'll bring... Uh, Within two full years, I will bring again to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, and Nebuchadnezzar king, of, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away and carried to Babylon. So he says all the stuff that he took away from the temple, within two years will be returned. Now, it's quite interesting to me that he picks two years. Because how long does it take people to almost totally forget anything? Just a couple months at least, they'll start forgetting it. But within a year to a year and a half, two years, people have forgotten everything. So he can make this prophecy and nobody's going to remember it, as far as he's concerned, two years from now. So if it happens, he can bring it up. Oh, I told you within two years it was going to happen. If it doesn't happen, who's not going to say a word about this two-year prophecy? You know, and we see it in America all the time, how quickly people forget from election to election what the politicians tell us. I'm going to do such and such for you. And then when we get to the other election, they'll tell us they're going to do it to us all over again. Yeah. And we forget that they had said it. It's really, mankind is short-memoried. This is why God always is just going in the scriptures and saying, remember, remember, remember. He knows that we have short memories. And so he keeps telling us, remember what I've told you. Remember what has happened. Remember. And so he is going, two years from now, we're going to get all our stuff back to, from the temple. Even though Jeremiah said, more stuff is going to go to king. So we have two very opposite prophecies, both claiming to be of God. Now, only time will tell. Now, we, we have the advantage of looking back over time and knowing that Jeremiah is right. For them, only time would tell. Within two years, they're going to know whether Hananiah was right or Jeremiah's right. But what do you do in the process when you have two diametrically different opinions of something without having the spiritual discernment to know who's speaking the truth? You kind of get caught up with, okay, two people both claiming to be speaking of God are saying, one's going to say we're going to be blessed and everything returned in two years. One is saying we're all going to captivity. All right. Well, who's going to want to believe the captivity? Well, that's the other side. Everybody wants to believe, oh, we're going to be freed. Yeah. Nobody wants to believe the hard story. 
One of the things that you want to understand, though, is what I have seen over the years is sometimes it's better to believe what God says that's hard that I don't really want to believe and don't want to understand and know. And I've said this several times, when I'm trying to decide if I'm hearing from God, if it's something that I want to do, I have a hard time saying this is from God. I'm not saying it isn't, but I, if it's something I want to do, I have to really kind of go, God, is this what I want or is this what you want? I do that a lot. And if, it's, if I know that I'm supposed to do something and it's something I don't want to do, I can pretty easily say that's from God once I finally surrender to it. But when I don't want, when I want to do something, it's my, my own emotions and thoughts get in the way and it's very hard to say, this is of God. Now it's not bad, it may not be bad, may be good, maybe it is from God. But I have a hard time saying it is from God because you're right, you know, they're gonna like this message from Hananiah. Oh yeah, we're gonna be blessed and you know, the temple's gonna be restored and we're gonna get all our goods back and we can worship God the way we're supposed to worship him. And they're going to like that message. They're going to go, this is what God wants. This is his house. He's going to bless his house. Everything about this message sounds like it's a good message that people want to grab hold of. Jeremiah's message is a terrible message. You know, more of the temple is going to be gone and the bricks and the stones are all going to be torn down too and the city is going to be torn down if you don't, you know, if you don't uh, surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody wants to hear that message. This is God's house. This is his city. Nothing bad can happen to it. So you're right. Everybody's really gravitating toward Hananiah's message. It is exactly what they want to hear. And so he's given this message. And then he goes in verse 4, And I will bring again into this place Jehoiachiniah, or Jehoiachin, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah, that went into Babylon, for thus uh, says the Lord, I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So he says, everybody that was taken is coming back. You know, that would be including Daniel and all these other, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all the others that were captured and taken away. Jehoiakim Jehoi or Jeconiah uh, is going to come back. You know, the king is going to come back. He's going to be able to reign in Jerusalem like he's supposed to. And Nebuchadnezzar is either going to have a change of heart or be defeated and, and everybody's coming back. Sounds great to them. You know, we, we didn't want to go into captivity to Babylon anyway. We'll, we're ready to take and say this message sounds really good. And this is also a thing that we tend to do if we're not being walking closely in the spirit. We hear something we want to be true and automatically gravitate toward that what we like and not necessarily go God is this what you want and we need to be very careful about that as Christians and here's the message going out to the to the, the Jewish people you know hey and he didn't go on to the but he could, he could have been saying this is God's city you know God chose this we're his people he, he chose us his temples on this hill there is no way that what Jeremiah says is going to happen is going to happen so let me tell you what is really going to happen because this is God's, God's temple, God's city, God's people. There's no way we're going into captivity. Now, none of them are worshiping God. None of them are following God necessarily. There's idols on every street corner and altars on every street corner to every God under the, 
under the, under the creation, but they're trusting in God because it is God's people, God's city, and God's temple. And this is going to be a problem. And this is the same way they were thinking in Jesus' day. You know, we've got the temple here. We're God's people. We've got temples here. You know, where we've got God's land. This is, nothing's going to happen to us. And we saw again in that period of time that Rome destroyed uh, Jerusalem and took the people and scattered them all across the Roman Empire. Verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah said unto the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priest and in the presence of all the people that stood in the house of the Lord. Even the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring again the vessels of the Lord's house and all that is carried away captive from Babylon into this place. Nevertheless, hear you now this word that I, spoke, uh, that I speak in your ears and in the ears of the people. The prophets that have been, that have be, been before me and before you of old prophesied both against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. The prophet which prophesies peace when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known that the Lord hath truly sent him. So Jeremiah comes in. He's, Ananias is giving this message of great prosperity, great, great honor, and you can almost hear the sarcasm when, when Jeremiah walks in. Amen. I can, I can picture him, he's probably clapping his hands and going, yes, I really hope this comes true. I really hope what you're saying is coming true. All right, in a very sarcastic way. He has prophesied destruction, but he also loves his city. He would love to have Hananiah's you know, prophecy come true. Technically, Hananiah's prophecy could come true if the people did what Jeremiah said and surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar. They may not get all their stuff back, but the city would not be destroyed. And they might get their temple, temple stuff back if they honestly submitted to Nebuchadnezzar, which they never did. And he's going, I hope you're true. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words that you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and the, and the carried away captives to Babylon. You know, and I can see him picturing on doing this. You know, I really, I really want that to be true. I really would like your words to be true, Hananiah. All right? And then he goes into verse 7, nevertheless. <laughs> All right? So he's coming in, clapping his hands, going, yes, I really, really would like to see what you're saying to be true. And, you know, many times when we hear things that are false, they sound so good. And they sound like something, yeah, I just wish that that could really be true. I wish that every Christian could be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know, uh, and rich, you know, and all that stuff. You know, I just wish that could be true. Unfortunately, it's not, and it's not biblical. And Jeremiah saying, you know, oh, Hannah, I, I really wish that your words could, would come true. Because nevertheless, hear you now this word that I speak in your ears and in the ears of the people. So he's going in before him, and, and Hananiah, I want you to listen, and all you other ones that he's been talking to, listen to what God actually says. This is a battle going on between two men claiming to be prophets. All right? We know Jeremiah was the prophet because his is going to last a lot longer, and he spoke the truth. Because the prophets that had been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and against great kingdoms of war and of evil and of pestilence. And he could have included and 
toward Jerusalem, because Jerusalem has had many prophecies of destruction placed on it before its disobedience. And this is very important for us to understand because God pronounces judgment on evil even when it's his people that are doing evil. Somehow the Jews and even many Christians feel like, well, I can just do whatever I want and there won't be any consequences because I'm on God's side or he's on my side, however you want to look at it. Uh, you really can't say you're on his side if you're not obeying him, but God's on my side. All right, so I can do what I want because he's on my side and because he loves me and cares for me and redeemed me, I can do whatever I want and I'll be okay. And I've said many times, if you think that, think that way, you're in trouble because you probably don't know him. All right, and this is what they're saying here. And it goes, verse 9, The prophet which prophesies peace, when the word of the prophet shall come to pass, then shall the prophet be known and the Lord, that the Lord hath truly sent him. He goes, if this peace comes, then Hananiah, you are speaking the truth. But what did he say? The previous verse is, most of the prophets come and speak the bad that's coming. All right? A prophet is not needed to tell everybody how blessed they are. They already know how blessed they are. When you read the prophets, sometimes reading the prophets can be very depressing because all they're doing is saying, you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong, you need to repent or else this is going to happen. You know, you need to repent or. They're always predicting a destruction. Now, if you repent, they will say, this is what happens when you repent and it'll be all peace and, and, and everything. But Hananiah never said anything about repentance. He never even talked about any curses. He said, within two years, everything's going to come back. Not that you needed to repent for it to be happening. Not that you needed to repent of all the sins and altars and everything that were in that city. He says, God's just going to change his mind and break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar and bring everything back. This is what Jeremiah has been saying. He goes, all the other prophets, they talked about war and pestilence and judgment and if peace comes, then good for you, Hananiah. You'll be proved that you are a prophet if peace comes. So he is not directly attacking Hananiah, but he is. All right, he's kind of subtly going around it. Hananiah, you know, all the, prophet, all the prophets in the past have spoken about judgment. You're only given peace. If your words are, if your words are true, we, we will look for them to be proven. All right? Cautiously, because remember, every time Jeremiah speaks in the in the temple or the or the palace, he gets arrested. <laughs> so he can't be super bold and aggressive at times, but he does speak very aggressively at times. All right, and this is one of those times. He's basically he is basically calling Hananiah a liar in front of the people, without saying Hananiah, you're a liar. First, he says, "Well, I do hope what you you know. I really." Love our city, or love our love our town. I hope I hope you're right. However, you're not in line with all the other prophets that have ever come up, come 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 about. All right, uh, and this is his whole argument to him, going, you know, I'd love for you to be right, Hannah. And I really, I you know, he's Jeremiah has been known as the weeping prophet. He cries over over Jerusalem. He cries over what's happening all through the, all through the book, and 
he's going to Hananiah. I really hope that, that you're right. I hope that you've heard from God. However, it doesn't look like it because this is what prophets say. And Hananiah, you've never talked about repentance and, and sorrow to, to, to have God's mind changed. And that's what it always has taken. God preaches hard things to come. If you don't obey, they repent. And God says, okay, because you repented, here is the good that I'm going to give you. Hananiah never said anything about repentance. And so this is his whole, whole statement. Verse 10, then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the, within the space of two years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. All right, remember in the previous chapter, chapter Jeremiah was told to wear this yoke and, and talk about how the, everybody needed to. So this is the same. This is just a continuation of the previous chapter. Hananiah picks up that yoke and manages to break it. I don't know how heavy the yoke was or how big it was, but he managed to break it. I don't know if he had a sledgehammer or something. You know, but he broke this yoke. And he says that God is going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar within two years. Translation for us, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be no longer the great power. Now, we know that that's not true because Jeremiah told him already that, Jer that Nebuchadnezzar was was going to reign for three generations. And we know in history that that is exactly what happened. Nebuchadnezzar reigned for three generations. Himself, his son, and his grandson. His grandson was having that party when the Medo-Persian Empire came in under the, under the sluice gates when they drained the water and, and took the city captive when the handwriting on the wall in Daniel. All right, so we know that that was the history. Three generations, all right? Hananiah is saying he's not even going to have one generation of being in charge. He's going to be, within two years, he's going to be no longer the powerful nation that, it, that he is right now. Jeremiah said three generations. He's saying two years. Again, what do people want to hear? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, going to be, he's going to be out of our hair in two years. We don't have to worry about him. All we've got to do is survive for two years, and we're going to be okay. Hananiah is probably the biggest reason why they rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar over and over and over again when Jeremiah was saying surrender. Surrender and remain a nation. And Hananiah is saying he's going to be gone in two years anyway, so just hold out for two years. All you got to do is hold out for two years and then everything will be, you know, hunky-dory. We'll all be, all be where we're supposed to be and we'll remain a nation and we'll get all of our stuff back. Two diametrically opposed opinions. This is what Satan does all the time to us. God says, here is the truth. And Satan will throw out multiple lies against it so that maybe one of them will stick. He doesn't care which lie sticks as long as you believe one of the lies. And then whatever lie sticks, he'll keep hammering on that lie to make it even deeper. God gives truth and Satan gives lies. And what we need to be, learn is the discerning spirit that says, I hear the hiss of the serpent behind these lies. And it really is interesting when you start looking at some of these lies and you really start understanding the lie of Satan behind those words. 
And it's like if you know magic tricks and you all of a sudden you see the, you see how the trick worked. And it's like, oh, that really wasn't that great a trick. You know, that wasn't that hard a trick at all. Uh, I have a magician friend who's actually been here, but he works at the prison with us. And he was doing a magic trick. And the first time I saw it, I was in the right place to see and didn't see what happened. But the second time I saw it, I was sitting where I saw the trick. He didn't realize that I was sitting in a place to see the trick. But I go, oh, that's how that trick is done. Because it was a pretty amazing trick when I first, first saw it. Then I saw how it was done. I'm going, oh, how simple could this trick be? Now, because it's just a trick. And this is what Satan likes to do to us. He performs his little lies, and they look so slick and so good and so wonderful until we see through them. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Why would I ever think that was a, anywhere close to the truth? This is what he's doing here. Hananiah, speaking through Satan's power and authority, is making things sound just the way they want it to sound. Just go for two years and you won't have to worry about this judgment that Jeremiah is talking about. He must have been charismatic. I'm sure he was. <laughs> but how charismatic do you have to be to tell people what they want to hear in the first place? You don't need to be very charismatic when you're telling them what they want to hear. You have to be charismatic to get people to believe what they don't want to believe in the first place. True, true or false. All right. Uh, uh, Hitler was a very charismatic person. But you know how he got into his position was a real simple, true, uh, simple thing. He was elected chancellor of Germany by about a 90% majority because he promised them a, a loaf of bread every, every day when they were starving. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar to what we're starting to hear these days? You know, let me give you free medical, free phones, free education, free whatever. You know, our government is just buying the people to then turn around and do what they want once they've bought their slaves. And so telling people what they want to hear is easy. Telling them what they don't want to hear does bring you into needing to be charismatic, especially if you're going to be lying to them. And Hitler was very charismatic, and certain of our American politicians have been very charismatic. Uh, and, and I'm sure Hananiah was not, you know, was very charismatic too. A lot of our false teachers are very charismatic. They sound wonderful. They sound great. They sound, you know, you listen to them and go, boy, that person sounds so wonderful. And if you're not listening to what the Spirit is telling you about them, like, wow, look, listen to them. A lot of them are TV preachers, you know, and they just preach to tickling ears. Just as we were told, in the latter days, people will have itching ears that just want to listen to what they want to hear. Well, this person said, I can be wealthy, healthy, and wise. I'm going to follow them. And then once you get so sucked into it that you then and then what they do is tell it's your fault that you're not healthy wealthy and wise you don't have enough enough faith enough enough whatever you didn't give enough money to them to get your money back from god all right uh and this is the problem with the whole prosperity gospel and everything because what they'll do is tell you that it's your fault that you didn't get blessed and it's really sad because that drives people because they so are caught up in the charismatic speaking of it and the desire that they want, that when they're told it's their fault, 
they go, okay, it must be my fault. And they get driven into more and more depression, further and further away from the truth of God and what true liberty is all about. And it's a very sad statement because they twist things. And this is what, we, when we're looking at the book of, of Job, this was the whole thing that they, problem they had. They believed that if you gave to God and you, and you gave your sacrifices and you honored God, then everything would be perfect for you. The prosperity gospel. And then Job loses everything. And what happens? His friends come along and what do they do? Are they real nice and say, Job, we're, we're so sorry for you. You know, you're... Job, what did you do? You know, you could, you've lost everything. You must be a terrible, bad person, and we never knew it. That stuff happens in these prosperity churches all the time. If something bad's happening to people, they automatically get attacked. And then you start internalizing it, and you start attacking yourself. And I've seen this in many people that have been brought up in that kind of relationship. Whenever things go bad, they immediately start looking at themselves and going, I must be a really terrible person for God to be doing all this bad stuff to me. No, you are a human being that yes, you've done some sins, but God is doing something. Now just ask God what, you're, what he wants you to learn and just learn to trust God because you've got a heavenly home and God is still in charge and he still has good, good plans for you. But you know, if you're so bound up with I'm, I'm being, being bombarded by troubles because I am bad, God must not love me that much because he is really being mean to me. You know, it really hurts the whole picture of God. And this is one of the reasons I am so adamant against that, that prosperity gospel. Because when things do happen bad, then people automatically start attacking, being attacked by their quote-unquote friends in that movement, and then attack themselves. And you look at Paul. Paul was in prison and saying, I've learned to be content with much and with little, and he had little at that time. He was in prison. And within two years, he was going to be beheaded. And he's still saying, I trust God. We're looking at the book of Job, and right now we found that Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that I will see him with my eyes on the resurrection. He was not going to reject God even though he was struggling with why was he suffering? Is that our attitude when we suffer? Is that our attitude when things seem to go wrong? God, I know that you live. I know that you're in control. And I've said this many times, you know, I've said all the time, Romans 8, 28 is my favorite verse. And there are many times in my life where I have said, God, I do not understand what's going on. I am going to hold tight to this verse because that's all I've got to hold on to but I do not see how anything good can happen from all of this. But I believe your word. I believe that you know more than I do and that it will work together for good. And sometimes I've seen why, sometimes I have not seen why. But you know one thing I know? Everything works according to God's plan. And this is why I share the one story, and I'm not sharing it to do anything, but when I was walking around six months with, with my gout attack on crutches, and, I'm, and I was suffering at that time, not being able to sleep, not being able to do anything. I'm going, God, I don't see how anything good could happen from all this pain. But a year later, somebody came up to me and said, you encouraged me by watching you be faithful and, and still serve. Was my pain for my good? No, it wasn't for my good. It was for their good. All right? 
And this is what God says, all for, that it will work for good. Our endurance, our perseverance, our continual faithfulness may just be an example to those looking at us and being changed. And we're going to look at it and go, God, I don't understand how, how any of this was for my good. And there's been other times when those things have happened, and I'm sure somebody was encouraged by my faithfulness and staying forward with God, and I might find out in heaven when I'm getting get a reward for what, what happened to them. So what am I encouraging us to do? Stay faithful and stay true to what we know to be true. God is sovereign. He has a plan, no matter what is going on in our life. He has a plan. Even if I don't see his plan, he has a plan. He is just a little bit smarter than me, knows what's going to happen in the future better than I do, so he has a plan that I cannot understand. All I need to do is trust his plan, even when I don't understand it. And this is very true. You know, if you're a parent, sometimes you want your kids to be obedient to you because you know that what they're doing is bad. They don't understand it. You know, you've been there, done that, or you at least have a greater knowledge than they do. You know that what's going to, what they're doing is leading them in the wrong way, and they're going to get mad at you for not letting them do what they want to do. We do the same thing to God. You know, God, I really want to do this. This will really be fun. Go, God, no, uh, no, no, no. I've got a better plan for you. I do not want you to do that because this is where I want you to be. For me, I think I'm worse than a kid. I'm grown. I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, most of us do that. God, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah. Uh, God, I, I'm an adult. I've, I've got... Uh, 60 years of experience under my belt, I know, I know what's best for me. <laughs> We're saying to the God with, with, who's been there since eternity past. Yeah. He's been here for 6,000 years of life, plus all the time before that. Now, God, I, I, my 60 years against your 6,000, I know, I know what's best for me. Uh-huh. And I can, I can almost picture God laughing. But it's just like our teenagers telling us, you know, hey, mom and dad, I know, what I, I've been around for 13, 14, 15, 18 years. I know what's going on in this world. Uh-huh, yep, sure you do. And we're only twice their age. Yeah, God <laughs> yeah, knows everything, and yet we'll argue with them like, God, I know, I know what's best for me. I've got plenty of experience under my life, running my life. You know, I can, I can run my life really well as we run it right into the ground. <laughs> so, so here he is, you know, telling him that, you know, all of this stuff. And then, um, let's see where I leave for 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet and after Hananiah the prophet had broken off his neck, saying, Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you, but you shall make for them yokes of iron. For thus saith the Lord of, of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron upon the neck of all the nations, that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. And I have given him the beast of the field also. So we had just read that Jeremiah basically had enough. He'd left the, he'd left the, the temple. As 
he's leaving, God speaks to him. I could almost picture him leaving because he's just so fed up. Nobody's listening to him. Nobody's paid attention to him. They're all gathered around Hananiah, and they're all happy about Hananiah. And as he's leaving, God speaks and says, I have a message for Hananiah. This one is not for the rest of the people. This is for Hananiah. He goes, you have broken off the, ne- the, the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah. All right? says, you broke the yoke. You broke a wooden yoke. says, go and tell Hananiah, you have broken the yoke of wood, but you shall make for them yokes of iron. All right? Let's go back to the previous chapter. What had Jeremiah's statement been? If you voluntarily submit yourself to Nebuchadnezzar, you get to stay in your land, and everything's going to be okay. Put on the yoke of wood and just be still. Hananiah is saying, rebel against Nebuchadnezzar because God's going to deliver you. What was the second half of the prophecy? If you rebel, you shall be killed in pestilence and war and you're going to be taken captive. Big difference. A yoke of wood, easily easy and light, or a yoke of iron that is going to be something you can't break. Jeremiah goes into saying, Hananiah, if they follow your words, if you do not repent and they follow your words, they are going to wear that yoke of iron. They are going to be still going into captivity. They are still going to be conquered, but more death is going to happen. More destruction is going to happen. And then everybody's going into captivity. Your choice, people. And it's an amazing thing to me how often God does this. He puts a choice in front of us. Do you want to obey me or do you want to disobey? Obey comes with this benefits, which in this case was to be keep your land and to just pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar, or comes with these penalties. Death, war, destruction, and being carried away. Your choice, people. God always gently puts a choice before people. When he goes with the Savior, he goes, you're all sinners, you all deserve hell, but I have a gift for you. Which do you want? Which do you want? Reject me and my gift and go to hell or accept my gift and have eternal life? Plain and simple. Two options in front of us. And even for us as Christians, he'll usually put two options in front of us. Do you want to obey me and do this? and whatever blessings come that way, and maybe sometimes they don't look like blessings, <laughs> or disobey and have all this suffering and trials. But always God puts in, in a choice. Do this or this. What did he do in the Garden of Eden? You can eat of every tree in the garden except this one tree. And if you eat of that tree, the day you eat it, you will die. One rule All the trees in the garden, every type of fruit, every type of vegetable, everything that they could eat, except for one tree. And what did they do? They went to the one tree. I said, I wonder if they would have eaten from it if he hadn't said, don't eat from it. Probably, well, eventually. I mean, eventually they would have tried every tree. but, But, you know, one of the things about human beings is the moment you're told not to do something... 
What is, what is it you want to do? Whatever it is you're told not to do. I said if I was in an HOA and they told me I couldn't paint my house purple with pink polka dots, what, what am I going to want to do? I don't want a house with purple with pink polka dots, but because they told me I couldn't have it, everything in me would be wanting to paint my house purple with pink polka dots. Now, I'm not saying I would, but man, everything in me would be saying, I got to do this. And it really is true. Law brings out the worst in us. When God gave the people the law, the law was designed to prove that we could not keep his rules. Not that we could get saved by keeping those rules. It just shows us that we're sinners. Because it gives us rules and says, don't do this. Don't commit adultery. What's the first thing we think of? Well, I wonder why I can't commit adultery. Why, why can't I do this? You know, as Christians, hopefully we understand that it's bad. And, you know, there's lots of good reasons for it. Because we don't want to be sour. Well, I've got to compare. I've got to make sure I haven't, haven't lost anything. You know, don't bear false witness. What's the first thing we want to do? Did you do that? Not me. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything like that. And this is the whole process. Whatever the law says, we do not want to keep laws. We do not want to keep rules. Not even God's rules, even government rules. How often do we want to violate some of those rules? <laughs> Here he's saying to them, there's an iron, uh, iron one. You will serve Nebuchadnezzar. And then he says, very interesting, and I have given him the beast of the field. I'm not really understanding what that's about, other than God saying he has control of the, of the animals as well to a degree, that they were under his control as well. In other words, God says, I'm not just giving him people. He has full control over everything. And one of the things, if you're familiar with medieval times, the king and queen felt that they owned everything. They owned the people, the land, the animals. You know, if you went out hunting without their permission, you could be arrested for killing the king's animals. This is what I think he's talking about to Nebuchadnezzar. I've given him, I'm giving him the animals. You can't even kill the animals because I have given them to Nebuchadnezzar. Everything is his. Everything is his. He is going to be in full control. Now, think about this. Nebuchadnezzar is not a Jew. He is not a worshiper of the one God at this particular point in time. And God says, I'm giving him control of everything. Now, we do believe through the ministry of Daniel that he became a follower of, of God. Because after he became a beast for that period of time, he gave one of the greatest testimonies of the God of the, of the, of the heavens and earth so it does appear that he became a follower of Yahweh. When he's given this message and says, God says, I'm giving him all, all things, he was not. He was an idolater. He was following many gods of Babylon and not looking at the one God. And God says, I've given him everything. He is going to have everything. The animals, the people, all these nations all around him, he will have full control. That's pretty powerful. He has 120 provinces that stretch from Egypt all the way to India. All right? He had a very large empire, one of the largest empires, one of the first large empires. Now, his empire was not large compared to the Greeks or the Romans, 
But at that point, he had, he had had one of the largest empires. Egypt early on included all of, the, all of Egypt and Ethiopia and most of the Middle East. Uh, Syria covered most of the Middle East. He covers everything from Egypt all the way to India and up into the mountains to the north. He covered a lot of territory. And God says, I have given him all of this. And I put the animals under his control. Yeah, they're his. He can do with them as he wants. There's a lot of power, especially when you think about it's given to a non-believer. What does that mean to us? There are times when God will say, you are needing judgment and you are now going to be judged by somebody who doesn't have anything to do with me. That's a sad, hard thought. We're looking at our world coming under all kinds of very strange leaders that don't know God, that don't have any desire to know God, who take what God says is being good and says, no, what he says is bad. I want you to do all these things that he says are bad because those are good. And we're seeing that even in our country, how they're turning God's laws totally upside down and saying, oh, God calls adultery a sin. Ah, you can do that. God calls fornication a sin. You can do that one. God calls homosexuality a sin. No, nah, that's a really bad thing to be talking about. God says, don't, don't dress up in the you know, clothes of the opposite sex. He goes, no, nah, transgenderism, fine. Our world is totally turning God's word upside down making everything that he says, and it's exactly what he said would happen in the end days. And this is something that is very much happening, and God is allowing it to happen because we are at the end days. Now, could we have a revival and have everything go a little longer or anything's possible? I don't expect one. I pray for one. I'd love to have a revival, but if it doesn't happen, it's what he says is going to happen anyway. In the last days, it'll be like the days of Noah. In Noah's day, everything was so bad, so evil, that God said, I have to destroy all of mankind. I don't know how much worse things can get before we're at, like the days of Noah. I don't know if we're all, all the way there or not. I can't imagine how much worse things could get. But God is going to bring judgment on this world. Now let's go to the last two verses here, or three verses. Then said the prophet Jeremiah to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent you, but you make this people to trust a lie. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from off the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So Jeremiah now gets just a little bit uh, from God. You know, Hananiah, I want you to hear this. God has not sent you. You may be thinking you're hearing from God. You may be imagining you're hearing from God. You could be making up the story. I don't care. God has not sent you. You have made these people to believe a lie. There is nothing worse than making people believe lies. Nothing. Because now you're harming them as well. Now, again, I've said this many times, you know, because I understand that when I speak, I have a great accountability, double accountability because I have effect over lives because of what I teach. It does not relieve the people 
from learning discernment and, and investigating, but it does still end up that they can be led astray. It's not completely the fault of the teacher, though yes, they have a great responsibility. The people have a responsibility for what they hear. And as was pointed out, they heard what they wanted to hear. We get to keep our city. We get to have our king back. We get to have our stuff. Yeah, we really like this. And then Jeremiah says, Hananiah, you've caused them to believe a lie. And then he says, thus saith the Lord, I will cast you off the face of the earth. This year you shall die. This very year you are going to die. Now he said everything was going to be returned in two years. So if he dies before the two years is over, at the, by the word of Jeremiah, the people can know that the rest of his story has to be a lie. Yeah. All right, so it's a good point for them. You have taught, you have spoken a rebellion or an apostasy literacy, literally. You are going against what God says. You're in rebellion against the Lord by what you're teaching. Very strong words. And then it says, And Hananiah the prophet died that same year in the seventh month. Remember this story started on the fifth month. Within two months he was dead. Jeremiah said you're going to die within the year and God kills him in two months. How big a deal is it to go into rebellion against God? God will bring judgment on anybody who's in rebellion against him. And I've seen it over and over in my lifetime where God has brought things into people's lives that are rebellion, that are attacking his people, that touch his, touch his people. And the sad thing is, I am almost sure that Hananiah wasn't the only one affected in his family by this curse. Number one, he's the head of the family. Just his death is going to be a big, in, big impact on his family. But usually when you're in rebellion against God, your family suffers as well. And I've seen this over and over and over again, that when people are in rebellion against God, they suffer, their family suffers, those that they love suffer because of their rebellion. As God brings judgment on them, bad things happen all the way around. David had adultery with Bathsheba, the curse was that the sword will never leave your family. He had the, the rape of his, his, his daughter. He had his concubine slept with by his son. All these things happening and all the rebellion and, and rising up against him, all because his sin's consequences affected his family. Now, this is something that is very serious for us. We go, and I hear it all the time, well, if I do this sin, it's only me who's being affected. Never, never is a sin only going to affect you. It will affect at least the person that's involved in your sin. It will affect your family. The consequences when God's trying to get your attention will affect everybody around you. It is very crucial for us to understand Sin has consequences, and the sin's consequences are not just going to affect me. They affect everybody around me. And the more authority you have, the more they affect everybody. You know, if you're the husband, it's, affects, it's going to affect your family. If you're the mother, it affects your kids, at least, if not, your, if not the husband. For the pastor of a church, if I start going the wrong way, it'll affect the whole church. Not just the family, because I have authority over the church. 
for government officials, it affects their entire state, nation, country, whatever their level is, their sins and their problems affect everybody under them. We need to really take it serious and understand there's consequences to sin and worse than we could ever imagine. Because usually we'll go, well, I can, if I do the sin, I'll do the time. You know, uh, then we'll gripe and complain about doing the time. But you know, even if we didn't, <laughs> Even if we didn't, you know, well, I got what I deserved. I, I did it. I, I deserved it. But it always affects everybody else around you, even while you're doing the time. It affects everybody around you that is touched by your life. So we need to understand Hananiah's sin was terrible. And he paid a great price for it. And his family's paying a price for it, too, because now they're without a husband and father. And whatever other things happened to him in that two years before, while God was trying to get his attention and get him to repent, that, would, that affected the family. So this is all of what's so serious is learning to discern the word of God and his will as we reach out. Not just believing something because we want to, want to hear the message and it sounds good to us, but really being set up to say, this is what God says and I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to follow it. And the people are going to see after just two months, you know, Hananiah spoke the lie just like Jeremiah said, and now he's dead. That had to have some impact on people. I don't know how much impact because they didn't turn and repent, but had to have some impact on the people that uh, Jeremiah said he was going to be dead in a year, and now he's dead at two months. Wow that had to have some impact on them. Lord, we ask you to be with us. Lord, help us learn to discern truth from lies. Lord, we ask that we get to know you so well that we know the truth at all times and just thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.